Whether you've overdone it at the gym, at the dinner table, or on the couch, AHM Health Insurance have a cover for you. Join direct at ahm.com.au. For SEN America, this is the SEN MLB Podcast. And welcome to SEN Baseball. Welcome, everybody. MLB this week. We're going to jump straight into it after I introduce the two hosts today. JC, welcome. Good morning, Fritter. How are you, mate? Fantastic. And Russell Spear, former Detroit Tiger. How are you going? Good morning, gentlemen. Good to be here. We're going to go straight to standings and stuff. The leaders as it stands right now. Chicago White Sox are, are really tearing it up. 16-7 and seven in the win-loss. Baltimore Orioles, who started hot at the start of the season, still going okay, sitting at 13-8. and eight. Um, The Cubbies, I'll get to them in a second, JC. We've got something to talk about there with the KC. Washington Nationals have been doing well there, 14-7. and seven. We're coming back to the Cubs. Um, Chicago must be pumped right now. Leaders in, in the White Sox and the Chicago Cubs up Cubs up there with a 16-5 and win-loss record. And um, why I'm referencing the Cubs to you, JC, is Jake Arrieta, who we did talk about last week on the show uh, through a no-hitter for the Chicago Cubs, but just ended a um, home scoreless inning streak that he had running at Wrigley Field there in Chicago. Hadn't scored a run against Jake Arrieta since July last year. So that's how long wow. pitching pitching at Wrigley Field, he hasn't allowed a run since July last year, which is just an extraordinary Is it run. a pitcher's park, hitter's park? What, what depends, would you... It depends on the wind. It depends on, right. the, yeah, on the conditions. Um, it, it can play long it, and it can play short depending on the wind. So yeah. there, are, there are, I guess, generally when the weather warms up, it can play short. Uh, but early in the season, that icy wind can blow in and, and then... It's know, the oldest park the in the country, isn't it? That and probably Fenway, I they've think, done, the two old ones. They've done hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, renovations on the... Uh, I think we saw on Facebook just recently the, the yep. new uh, players' locker rooms that just are state-of-the-art. They've got LED lights to right. change uh, time conditions of the light. That's uh, called Eccles Lighting. And right. they have it in, they have it in uh, uh, first yep. class in, in the uh, in the aeroplanes. You're so, giving me a lesson here. Eccles Lighting, really? Yeah, so the Eccles Lighting um, imitates lighting at different stages of the day, and it yep. eases uh, fatigue and jet lag. Is this, so, is this casino stuff? <laughs> yes, you, it actually is. Yes, it is. I love right. baseball, but I might struggle to get out of my seat. You'd yeah. <laughs> be going, I'm not playing today. It's four no, o'clock in the morning. No, no, correct. Eccles Lighting, Eccles Lighting, we've got you sorted. But that's exactly what they've got there. State of the art. So it is uh, structurally the, the oldest uh, park in the league, but they've done uh, massive uh, renovations to it. But back to Jake. Yes, phenomenal he's been. Unbelievable. Uh, he did give up a run, and Joe Madden actually pulled him out in the sixth, and there was a bit of uh, debate uh, that they may have pulled um, Arietta out of the game a little bit early. And I want to ask Spearsy, being the resident pitcher on the panel, yeah. um, how do you feel about that? He was out around about 90 pitches. The streak was over. He's coming off a big start, 120 pitches, a no-hitter. Um, what are your thoughts on Madden? Do you think he, he pulled him a little early? Oh, I think you answered your own question, JC. I think if with he's had some really big outings early, so early in the year. 90 pitches, six innings. Quality start still, you know things are still good. It's not like uh, not like he's given up a run and oh well, you're no good anymore. You've thrown 52 scoreless. You must be slipping. Yeah, you must be. <laughs> done. You're done, mate. Yeah, you're, you're done. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, I, look, I, I'd pretty comfortably say that um, records and scoreless innings don't really come into consideration when you're a manager. I think Madden yeah. knows best, and yeah. and uh, with the load that he's had and and what's coming. Uh, what's on the horizon, you know, the next couple of starts. It could be on the road, could be uh, a lot of variables in all that. And yeah. I'm sure uh, he makes these decisions for a reason. Only, uh, yeah, go on, JC. Yep. I was just going to say, like, he could have left him in, uh, you know, another another extra couple of innings and, and you, you know, he gets 
maybe lit up or, or you know, they manage him for his next start. Correct. Uh, and then he gets on another streak. He was only a couple of innings shy of the record. 54 innings pitched back in 1962-63 of the longest home stretch of scoreless, uh, scoreless innings. That was Ray Herbert back in 62-63. Well, well researched there, Fritter. That's very impressive. I, but how would you be being a baseball fan in Chicago right now? Can't lose. That's, that's why I sort of reference both Chicago teams are just killing it right now. Uh, at, at the top there, I said Chicago White Sox at sixteen and seven, Chicago Cubs sixteen and five, both doing beautifully right now. Exciting times in Chicago. Any theories on that? Because they've had a, in my opinion, they've had a very good team together for a long time now. The White Sox. What what do you think has yeah. has what's happened to bring him together now? Like Chris Sale, been a great pitcher, five and zero, but he's been that way for a long time. So what what's been the catalyst? Maybe yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, a lot was made at the start of the year about the Adam LaRoche uh, incident uh, and and what, but what we don't know, and this is this is all sporting codes, football, soccer whatever, you never quite know what's going on in that clubhouse. I know you referenced Joe Madden from time to time. He's He seems very measured, <laughs> very measured and solid, in the, but he explains himself well. That's what you appreciate. About. Some guys get up there and just goof around, and, and half the time you don't know what they're talking about. But Joe Madden explains himself well and seems balanced, and, and sometimes people need that sort of balanced Theme. I'm not a, just off the top of my head. I can't think who's in charge of Robin the Robin Ventura. Robin Ventura. That's right. Former big league player himself. So what's actually going on in the club S to keep that balance and keep that city thro- uh, driving forward? Who really knows? But uh, you know, we've still got a long way to go. It's only 25 games or 20, 25 games into the season. Do Do you think that that whole um, pre-season kids in the clubhouse thing has? actually had an effect absolutely and, and we were talking off air about those one instances that can bring a, a focus of a, a talented team and you'd have experience with yourself locally with with yeah. Essendon you know that yeah. one thing you could speak more about that but I, I definitely think the management putting their foot down uh, maybe maybe the players revolted a little bit and resented being told the way they were told but I think in the end that could be that the you know the players have gone enough's enough and um, you know and management have, have supported that so I I found that situation and scenario interesting. I know myself now that I'm a father, uh, my approach to kids and that's really changed. Um, You know, I've always been uh, uh, someone who enjoyed being around the little kids and it's always fun. But um, as a father now, I can appreciate it from a father's perspective. But as a a young bloke, as a ball player in the clubhouse, I I don't think I would have really enjoyed having kids around. It was it was it's a bit weird. Your sanctuary, you know, you you as a playing group, it's your time to be. You know, it's it's that inner sanctum clubhouse stuff, and to have kids running around, you know, swinging bats and throwing balls would you can tell on, you can right tell on. you can tell Adam LaRoche has made a good deal of money out of baseball because if he's a rookie trying to pull the same stunt, there is no way he would have given up that ten fourteen million Correct. dollar contract, Correct, whatever. Yeah. He would have stayed. Sorry, Johnny, out you go, son. We'll get to it tomorrow. Um, but kids in the in and, the and, in the clubhouse, to me, is just unnecessary. We've got to move on, Jason. Well, I'm got... just going to say that relationship yeah. with his son is just a bit weird. <laughs> it's a bit weird. Right, we'll leave it right there anyway. We're <laughs> going to move on to the next one. This this has popped up in the last day or two. D. Gordon from the Florida Marlins. And you Glad will... you mentioned it. Do you, do you think do you think I should have mentioned it? Uh, suspended immediately for eighty games for positive t- two separate positive tests to PEDs. Uh, you will know a voice that does pop on here from time to time is Dave Sampson and the manager of the uh, Marlins, Don Mattingly. We've got a little grab from the two of them uh, just post D Gordon testing positive and being suspended for eighty games. Listen in. Major League Baseball has suspended D. Gordon for 80 games. D. Gordon is a very important part of our team, and we all love him and support him. That said, I do not like or condone what he did. He is an important member of this organization and will be for many years to come. It is a huge, huge disappointment to the kids, to our fans, to his teammates, to everyone in our organization who works hard every single day to put a product on the field and off the field that all of Miamians can be proud of. You know, we support Dean. These guys love Dean, and, and, you know, I feel like he's one of my kids, to be honest with you. I've known him so long. 
and uh, gonna love him, and and then we're gonna we're gonna move forward. Definitely shocked and, and surprised, and you know, but from there it's just happened so fast. It's one of those situations that you know you you love your kids, and that's that's deep for me. That's one of, one of mine, and uh, you know getting to get love on him and, and love him through this process and help him any way we can. Um, but then as a ball club, it's a different scene. You know, the story is we have to move forward, and, and that's what happens in uh, professional sports. Stuff happens. There is, uh, that was Dave Sampson first up, and then the manager of the Florida Marlins in Don Mattingly, great player with the New York Yankees. Great. Former manager of the Dodgers, too. And Dodgers, you're right there. JC, now I'm not coming to you for specific reasons, but D. Gordon done for 80, 80 games. He's 180-pound Ring and wet, lead off hitter with speed. Yeah, it, it would would it be more of a, a maintaining an injury type thing to get him through this hundred and sixty two game schedule? I just find D Gordon's usually the frame tells you that something's not quite right. In D Gordon's case, where do you see that? So this broke this broke yesterday. So there was no setup here that I'm uh, sitting in the chair today. It's. Uh, <laughs> You know, it wasn't that it happened a week ago. It happened, this is hot off the press. Yeah, this is like um, overnight, look, yeah. Yeah, look, you know, people take performance-enhancing drugs in sport to enhance their performance. It doesn't matter your body size. It doesn't matter your body type. Um, baseball, from first-hand experience, it's an everyday game. And you get sore. You get tired. It's uh, it's energetically draining. And, uh, you know, performance-enhancing drugs help you through that. And uh, it helped you maintain that. It's understandable. It's not acceptable. Yeah. But, you know, that's what, that's what high-level athletes do. And they're getting paid millions of dollars to do it. Absolutely. To, to put that good product, as they say. You know, we heard the, the uh, GM and, and Don Mattingly talk about putting a product out on the field. Mm. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, um, in a physical exertion sport that's televised – um, you know, you, you're judged on your performances and sometimes players feel that that's what they need to put their best product out there. So He's been a real spark for the Marlins. Absolutely. Oh, top, he's, top, he's, top of the order. He really has been phenomenal. But you could, you could hear the disappointment in the voices there of sure. um, Dave Sampson, of course, uh, sure. re- resident movie critic here at uh, 1116 SEN in the afternoons <laughs> with Andy Marr. Um, but you, as I say, you could hear the disappointment in both Don Mattingly and Dave Sampson referring to, as Mattingly said, one of my children. Look, he was a star at the Dodgers before he got traded to the Marlins. He was a real spark plug and a great player. I, I, at the time, I thought, man, the Dodgers getting rid of D. Gordon. I thought that was a, a loss for them. I forget who the trade was involved there. I can't, I can't remember yeah. what the trade was there. But I remember thinking at the time, he's a great player. And, yeah. and you know, 60 bases a year, you know, 300 hitter. And he, uh, he's just young. Like, there's still scope for him to get even better. I think he's understanding the game better. Barry Bonds is now his hitting coach uh, at the Marlins. I think as a team, they're hitting better. Um, purely because Barry Bonds is the hitting coach there. We see um, Yelich is hitting virtually 400 the first month of the season, I think directly attributable to Bonds being their hitting coach. Um, you know, so he, he's a great player, D. Gordon. Make no mistake. He's, he's only been, if I memory serves me right, he's only been in the league a couple of years. Is that be four, three, four? Because I, yeah. I just, on a personal note, I remember watching Peter Moylan play in, in AAA and they were teammates and they both went up to the big leagues at a similar time towards the end of the season on whatever year, 13, yeah, would yeah. it have been about that? About people, that, yeah, about that. Yeah. And secondly, I, I wouldn't buy steroids from wherever he's buying them from because he's built like a whippet. That <laughs> yeah, that's just, just, usually, um, you know, I don't want to... You're, you, you're assuming that he's using them to bulk yeah, up. It's a, He's not a bodybuilder. Yeah. It, you know, depending on, we don't know what he's taking it for, but I, I can assume that being a power athlete, even though yeah. he's a lot of fast switch fibers, he's, he's, a, he's a fast guy. Yeah. Um, it's to get through a season of 160 games. Yeah. It's to recover daily. And, and feel energetic and put out a you know, good performance every single day. I think he's about the uh, the speed in, in the big leagues. Him and, say, Billy Hamilton, I think, yeah, are the two lightning. guys that yeah, can lightning. fly. So, as you say, it could be more a maintenance-type issue with, uh, with D. Gordon in this particular instance there with the Marlins. We're going to just head back to the standings for a little bit. Houston Astros, where are they sitting right now? I know where they're sitting. They're sitting on the bottom of, of their... Um, Division in the American League, 7 and 15, made it to the playoffs last year. And 
yes, had a first-round loss, but got to the playoffs. Are they in trouble? What's going on with Houston there? That's a good point. Uh, you know, they had a breakout year last year. They, they were they were really bad. Then they bought a lot of guys, got a lot of good guys together. They were the they were the hunters. Yeah, right. Now they're yeah. the hunted. Right. So they've gone out. They've snuck up on. I feel you know um, Dallas Keuchel. You know, had a um, a Cy Young year. Um, the league has scouted him, obviously, um, and and it's only early, by the way. It's only oh, it's only first month. Yeah. But you know, scouting reports. The, the major leagues is a game of adjustments. You know, you can sneak up. You can have a a chance where you sneak up on them. You know, they weren't on anyone's radar. Yeah. You know, last year, they reel off some really big wins. They get a career year from Dallas Keuchel. They get some other guys come in and support. Now they're the hunted. And I just feel it's a little case of that they've been scouted now. Yeah, and, right. Um, uh, you know they're, they're, you know they're struggling a little bit. Uh, the World Baseball Classic is something that's coming around March of two thousand and seventeen. One of the stories that did catch my eye during the week was Bryce Harper has said that he'd be prepared to play in the World Baseball Classic if other stars were to join him. Is is that a good thing that he's actually prodding some people, I'm going to play, you're going to come play too? I'd, I'd like this. I think it's uh, this is exciting. If uh, you know the best player in the game has said, I'll, I'll put my hand up, you blokes better follow me. Um, and I think it'll, it'll, it'll encourage those, uh, not necessarily stars, but those, those up-and-comings to go, I, I really want to be on this team because I want to be part of this. Well, Bryce Harper's unique in that not only is he up and coming, but he's the best player in the game. He is. And uh, I, I love it. I'm like you. It's exciting. Imagine if, if baseball put its dream team in, like, and not just the up-and-comers, but the absolute stars. Yeah. Man, that would be exciting beyond... Uh, just know, let me bump in for a sec. I think Do it's you... smart, too, by what he said. Yeah. I think it's smart. I mean, if you are... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just to uh, a couple of appointments that have been made. Of course, Jim Leland will be managing the US team nice. at the World Baseball Classic. Uh, the Venezuelan team will be handled by Omar Vizquel from the Tigers. He'll be re- replacing Luis Soho, former Yankee, who managed the team for a couple of, couple of tournaments. And the Dominican Republic will be handled by Tony Pena, who won, um, who's the part Cardinals. of the Yankees organisation, who won back in 2012. So uh, some of the appointments have been made. The Australian team, Diebel, will he be the man? Got to be. Come on, somebody's got to make a comment here. Got to be. Got to be. Well, I think I say yes because he won the the qualifier oh, he's and be. got him there. Um, so I, to me, it's a bit of a no-brainer, and they will oh, he's um, the best baseball guy in Australia. Move forward with People that. People want to play for him. Handles personalities well. Gets guys playing well. Silver medal at the Olympics. He doesn't Boston handle, Red Sox doesn't handle me very well. <laughs> <laughs> it's very rude to me, son. Dudes. Yeah, but why? How, why do you provoke it? Well, that's why because I like poking him. <laughs> it's easy to poke that nose. Um, the uh, Mariners, Seattle Mariners. The ownership of the Seattle Mariners has changed hands. Uh, Nintendo have owned them for a number of years, but uh, sold off some of the ownership there. So that's why there's been just a huge influx of Asian players has gone to the Seattle Mariners. The big one in the off-season was Daeho Lee, the uh, Korean star who signed as a DH and has been quite successful there with Seattle to this Point of There's the been season. a few Korean players that have made an impact on the major leagues the last couple of years. We're going to talk about them over over the next couple of weeks, but I'm really getting a hard time here from Clubby. Clubbies, we have got to get to a break because on the line after the break, we're going to be talking to current major leaguer with the Arizona Diamondbacks, Patrick Corbin's going to be on the phone and we can't keep him waiting. So stick with us. You're on SEN Baseball right back after this with Patrick Corbin from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, this is Liam Hendricks from the Oakland Athletics, and you'll listen to SEN Baseball. Checks a swing. He wins. Lynn Fagan rings him up. Three strikeouts for Corbin. Two down in the fifth. And Patrick Corbin, welcome to SEN Baseball, mate. Uh, listen, I want to start back with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Came out to Australia a couple of years ago. 2014 opened the Major League season with the LA Dodgers. Were you on that particular trip, Patrick, getting out here to Australia? Um, actually, uh, I, I missed the trip with the team, but I was able to, to come out um, a month or, or two before and um, and help promote the, the games uh, between us and the Dodgers. And 
um, first time um, being in Australia, um, and Sydney was beautiful, and um, we had a great time there just uh, being able to relax and uh, have fun and, uh, and see all the sights and, uh, and the people of, um, of Sydney. And how did the ladies treat you, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was uh, actually with my girlfriend there, so we had a great time. And um, the, the the chauffeurs that they they had for us um, um, showed us around, and it was uh, it was just a great experience uh, to, um, to, to to visit a different country and and, and see um, some of the differences and similarities, and um, and and also learn a lot about the game over there of cricket. <laughs> wow. Uh, and how did you find cricket? Um, it was unique. It was, uh, I mean, there's a lot of similarities uh, between the game of baseball. So um, it's it's a game over in the states here that that we don't usually play. So um, and also we got to play in a, in a cricket uh, stadium. So um, we got to learn uh, a little bit about the history of that of that stadium and um, and also the rules and um, the rules of cricket and. Um, how the bowlers similar to a pitcher um, like myself. Patrick, you had the breakout year in 2013, All Star in 2013, 14 and 8, 3.41 ERA. Then, uh, unfortunately, you go down with the uh, needing uh, Tommy John surgery. Do you think um, the signing of Zach Greinke and Shelby Miller was specifically to support you coming back? So that you're not taking the brunt of the innings there. How did you see those signings? Um, yeah, it was unfortunate. You try to do everything you can to stay healthy, and um, I'm able to come back now strong and, and feel great. And I think that the Diamondbacks know the group of, of players that we had here. Um, a lot of young talent um, on the offensive side and defensively. Uh, we are a very strong team, so um, they thought that if they could bring in a couple more guys uh, to help out the rotation. Um, would would definitely benefit our team. So just to add to add Zach, um, who's been around for so long, and then and then Shelby, um, who's had three solid years in the big leagues. Um, just uh, added a couple guys to our rotation. Um, who already had myself and and Ruby, um, De La Rosa and and uh, Robbie Ray, who who have very good arms as well. So um, I think it just strengthened our team and and made us a better ball club. Patrick, uh, you, you've come back to the velocity and just following on from Justin's question there, going through Tommy John surgery, we've, we've got a couple of uh, young Australian kids that are going through Tommy John right now, right in the middle of the process. I'm wondering what the toughest part of the process was. Was it actually hearing from the surgeon that you needed Tommy John? Um, was it sort of going through all of the rehab or finally to that moment where you really decided to let your arm go and, and let the ball fly. What part of the process did you see as being the toughest through that Tommy John? Well, it was very tough uh, finding out that you did need surgery and, and, and needed Tommy John. So um, that was probably one of the hardest things. And then uh, being a big competitor and wanting to go out there and compete, um, I think that was the hardest thing, just showing up to the field every day. And uh, you can't go out there and help your team win and, um, and compete against somebody. And um, I think that's, that's what all of us are here to do is to go out there, compete and, and win and, and do our best and try to get better. And um, that's the challenges of baseball. And um, to have that taken away and um, for me being um, the only injury I've ever had, it was, it was definitely tough. And um, the training staff here did such a great job in, in making sure they took their time with me and um, and made sure my elbow was ready to go. And um so, so once I um, was in the training room and, and, and did all my exercises and everything needed to, to go out there and throw again, uh, um, I was confident in my elbow and, and everything I've done up to that point. Patrick, uh, Chase Field plays very much as a hitter's park by all statistics. Um, and ERAs can blow out a little bit. Do you think, um, you know, Zach Greinke has traditionally been, you know, that sub-two sort of, area and he's sort of not there at the moment do you think he's adjusting to being in a real hitter's park and for you you with the great change up and the and the great breaking ball do you think that's the key to keeping the ball in the yard at chase field um i think just making quality pitches and i think early on in the season um um we've had starts where we've done that um and unfortunately a couple starts here at home where we haven't and 
Um, I mean, everybody knows uh, the type of ballpark this is, but you still have to go out there and pitch to your strengths. And um, Zach has very good command and um, with all of his pitches. So um, sometimes it's going to happen where you do make a mistake, and in this ballpark you pay for it by um, sometimes a fly ball um, happens to get out, and some other ballparks those balls are, are getting caught in play. So um, it's definitely something that unfortunately happens here, but uh, both teams have to deal with it. Um, you have to still go out there, pitch your strengths, and uh, you can't go out there every day worrying about um, giving up fly balls here. It's going to happen. It's part of the game, and um, you just have to try to improve and make uh, better quality pitches. Uh, Patrick, we're looking at the game from afar over here in Australia, but uh, just to take you away from your comfort zone at the moment, the pitching, I've noticed that you're actually this season a 3.30 hitter, 4 for 12, and you've driven in a run. We're looking at uh, the rule changes that have come into the game recently where it's proposed that all of baseball will have a DH, both National League and American League. Do you have an opinion either way on that? Would it affect the way that, that you actually play the game if you were to uh, hit more often? Where, where do you actually stand on maybe the DH coming right across baseball? Yeah, I, I mean, I enjoy batting. Um, being in the National League, it's something that the starting pitchers work on every single day. And um, for me, it, if I can hit better than the other pitcher, it's an advantage. So it's something that we work on hard here. And a lot of the pitchers love talking about it and, and, and watching swings and um, and kind of have a competition between all of us at the plate. So um, if you can ever, if you can go out there and um, show you, you, you can – Put put together a good swing or good at bat or make the pitcher work harder. It's it's just a bigger advantage for your ball club and um, and if you have the confidence that that you can do something better than their pitcher, um, you have a leg up on them. You you said that you have a little competition amongst the pitching staff. What's on the line with uh, the winner of that competition come the end of the season? <laughs> well, I don't know if we've necessarily placed a uh, a bet on it, but we're always talking crap and making fun of other people's swings and um it's 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 a it's kind of a joke to, to some of the real hitters here that they say they are that when we get hits but we we definitely put our time and work on it and um and definitely during bp we try to try to hit home runs uh sometimes <laughs> even though i don't know if they like us doing that so, who, so who's better you or grinky um well, be, be honest with us. Bit. Be honest he, with us here, mate. Be honest. Come on. <laughs> um, Zach's been doing it for a while, and uh, he's he's a very good hitter. He's known as probably the best hitting pitcher in, in the game. So well played, rookie. Um, well played, rookie. Good. That's the way. <laughs> um, so uh, Patrick, it's um, great to. Uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, no, go. You're our guest, mate. Go ahead. Oh no! I'm just it's it's just great to come to the ballpark every day and see uh, how he works on his game to try to get better. And um, we, I would say Shelby's the bigger out of all of us, so he has the most pop. But um, <laughs> we'll see what happens throughout the course of the season. It's a bit of a pet topic for us: the DH and the pitchers hitting. And and uh, on our show, we we I guess we talk about it every week. Um, and it's great to hear you know the guys at the elite level um, talking about how much the pitchers how much they love. Uh, how much they love hitting. Um, we see in your conference uh, of, in the in the West with um, uh, with the uh, Giants. They've got some good hitting pitches as well, Bumgarner, and now Samaja. I can just see. Is it one of those things? And I guess you've answered the question. You're, the competition between you in batting practice is what drives you forward and, and what's getting you the results. Do you think that's been the the key for your batting improvement? Or, or it, it seems like you've improved your hitting this year. Is it having that competition from other good hitting pitchers in the lineup? Yeah, just I think just getting the reps um, uh, every day in between your starts and um, the coaching staff here allowing us to do that and um, and just learning things that that hitters learn and um, it, def- it definitely translates to the game. I think our our pitchers here have. Um, I want to say 10 to 12 hits already um, this early in the season, so I believe um, that definitely helps to to keep an out off of the scoreboard and, and allow another batter to, to bring us in. But, um, yeah, when when you face other, other pitchers in this league, you, you have to face them like they are a real hitter. Um, just touching on rule changes again, uh, uh, you know, just over, the say, the last 18 months, two years, 
the game is being adjudicated differently with the sliding rule at the plate, uh, the sliding rule coming into the infield with Tahata getting a broken leg last year, Chase Utley, the incident there. Things like um, in the in the minor leagues, they're experimenting with a with a pitch clock. I don't know if you've had anything to to do or seen anything like that. How, how do you think it's changing the evolution of the game? How do you see the the changes affecting the game going into the future? I think the clock stuff's good, just to to pick up the pace of the game and um, get the game moving and um, make people more excited and want to watch the game and. Um, I think the the home plate rule um, has been um, taken pretty well um, so far, but um, it seems like at second base uh, a lot of people don't really understand it uh, as well as um, people would like, and it's it's frustrating sometimes when they automatically call double play. And um, to me, it's just it's part of the game to slide in their heart and, and break up a double play. You're not trying to hurt anybody. It's just part of the game to to help your team win and to and, and to stop them from turning a double play. Good point. What about so the D-backs this year have uh with the you know the new signings and and uh, new uniforms we see the the new uniforms uh they are in stark contrast to some of the traditional uniforms. How do you see the new uniforms, Patrick? For the D-backs. Yeah, I just think uh it's we're the first team in baseball to to do something like that, and uh, um, I think a lot of people have liked them, and, and some have disliked them. But um, and a lot of people seem to be um, growing into them and, and and actually liking them. And um, eventually, I think all of Major League Baseball will upgrade and and change their their uniforms a little bit. Um, it's just good to be on the team that did it first. Probably all the teams except the Yankees. They won't change for anything. <laughs> oh, they pinstripes. Um, just the the D-backs currently 12-12. and 12, Long way to go in this season, I know. But just tell us a little about uh, Ruby De La Rosa threw an absolute beauty yesterday. Seven innings, two hits, ten strikeouts. Is he going to be continually used as a starter or might be a spot starter and, and maybe out of the pen a little bit? Because that was a great start from him. No, um, I think he'll definitely, I mean, that's what we expect from him. And, um, I mean, his stuff, he, he definitely has the capability to do that um, every day. It's just a matter of being consistent with it. And um, as, as it goes for our record, we've we've had a pretty decent schedule of playing the Cubs and the Cardinals and Pittsburgh and um, the Dodgers and, and San Fran here early in the season. So, um we definitely could have won a couple more games and played a little bit better, but um, like you said, it's a long season and uh, we're looking forward to uh, whoever our next challenge is. Now, Patrick, outside of uh, baseball, we, we know that you've, you've been a, a great athlete um, coming through high school, etc. You have a passion for basketball. Tell us about basketball. You're, you're, um, yeah, you're refereeing basketball in the off-season? Yeah, just... Um, my father built me a court in in the backyard when I was younger, and um, having two brothers and a sister and a bunch of friends who lived next door to me, it was um, something that we we loved to do after school or um, or baseball or football. So it was just something that I stuck with and um, and really enjoyed. And <clears throat> and my my um, where I'm from in Syracuse, New York, they put together a, a good run this season in the NCAA tournament and actually made it to the Final Four. I did uh, read up a little bit on you, Patrick, leading into this interview. Now, you signed for seventy five grand as a sign-on bonus and bought a used car, I believe. You've got free agency coming up 2019. Do you think you might be able to shout yourself a new car, mate? <laughs> yeah, I actually I do have a new car, but... Um... What what are we rolling yeah, with? We'll what are we rolling with there, mate? Uh, I have a Cadillac Escalade now. Okay, nice, nice. Big league. <laughs> but yeah, um, so the rest of the season you've got, as I say, we're we're only about twenty four, twenty five games in. Uh, do do you go into seasons uh, with a sort of not a specific number, but a general number in mind of innings that you that you work towards? 
I know starters a lot of the times, 200 is a number for starters to get to innings-wise, a big workload. Do you have a number of innings that you aim to throw during a season? Um, I think as a starter, you just want to go out there and make every start and um, and try to go as deep in the in the ball game as you can and um, and help out your bullpen and and make sure they're not getting overused and um, and just try to get better throughout the course of a season. I think that should be every starter's goal, just to to try to stay healthy and 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 make every start. Uh, Patrick, look, we really appreciate your time here this morning. We know you've got a series coming up against the Rockies, just come off the Cardinals. Uh, as I mentioned just a little earlier, long long season to go, but we really appreciate you you're giving us some time here this morning here on SEN Baseball. And uh, good luck for the rest of the season, mate. Really appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. There's uh, Patrick Corbin there from the Arizona Diamondbacks. And stick with us. You're on SEN Baseball going to a short break. Right back after this, we've got more MLB. Hi, this is Patrick Corbin, and you're listening to SEN Baseball. And welcome back to SEN Baseball. Joining us on the line now is the head coach of the Victorian Schoolboys team, which will be over in Perth starting on the 2nd of May. Pete Giles, welcome to the show, mate. Welcome, Fruta. Thanks for having me this morning. That's uh, great, mate. Now, you are head coach of this Victorian Schoolboys team, and I believe you're also part of the Australian Schoolboys team heading to the US later in the year. We'll stick with the tournament at hand right now. How long have you been in charge of the uh, Victorian schoolboys team? Craig, on and off, probably the last uh, 10 to 12 years. It all started uh, many years ago with Dan McConnell and myself. Um, as people in the baseball world will know, an outstanding coach. So both being phys ed teachers, we thought we'd put our hand up for it, not really knowing what the tournament was all about but we saw an opportunity to travel together for a week. So put our hands up, and 12 years later, we're still involved. Um, Dan has moved down to the Phillip Island area to improve, improve his lifestyle, so he's out of it. But, um, yeah, on and off now, 12 years, and it's uh, an outstanding week away with the kids. Absolutely outstanding. Gilesy, Justin Charles here. Um, so can you give us an idea of who uh, your – or who – the expectations from your starting pitching uh, for this tournament. And I can give you a scouting report. Young Emerson Rickard is absolutely dominating senior baseball at the moment. So uh, you looking Fantastic. for a big tor- tournament from him? Yeah, um, he's a kid who's been on the cusp of, you know, state sides for many years. And the beauty of this tournament is, is that it, it's actually designed for kids not to be showcased for, for signing, but actually to, to be showcased that if you're good enough to play college baseball, then this tournament's perfect for you. So the kids we're looking at is obviously Emerson Rickard, who I, I think is also underestimated as a hitter. Now, correct, I know he's a, large, a big kid, but you know the beauty of the schoolboys is that we don't pencil kids in. Is If you pitch, then you don't hit. So we've got Emerson Rickard, left-hander, who I think is going to be a bit of a sleeper. Not many kids will know a lot of him, but... If I'm hearing what you're saying, Justin, that he's throwing well. He's and really hitting smart. well. And, and, you know, he, he can play first base, he can hit, and he actually seems to have really good baseball smarts about him. So so he's obviously one of the kids that we hope will, will do really well. We're blessed at the moment with two other left-handers in Matthew Stenhouse and Lucas Anderson. Both kids played for Springvale. Um, both played some time in Division One. And uh, Matthew, being the brother of Brandon, obviously has got his side set on going, um, hopefully, to make this Australian side. Both kids have put their hand up to be looked at. But both great competitors. Um, they don't seem to get overawed by the occasion. And more importantly, Justin, they're just great, good team kids to have around. They they know the big picture is that they're there to help sides win games. It's not about getting velocity numbers up to a certain limit. They're there purely, their job is to throw strikes and to get out, and I can't fault them for that. That's and one we've got, Yeah, we've got one other kid, Justin, who I haven't seen a lot of, but I've heard great raps about, is a kid called Jackson Boyd. Um, Matthew Sheldon Collins uh, put me onto him from Sandringham. Now, I know he's been in the state program, but I haven't seen a lot of him play. But since I've, he's been in the schoolboy program, he's an incredible athlete. He's going to be one of our better hitters. And unfortunately, once again, being in the state side, he doesn't get to hit at all. 
Mm. But he's a phenomenal talent. So mm. he's looking at now to be our number one. So wow. yeah, we're pretty excited about what's happening. That young Stenhouse, I, I remember um, playing against him at um, uh, versus Springvale, and he did have a lot of composure. Like he, as just a kid, if he ever got roughed up, you know, because he was just a kid, I think he was only sixteen years of age. Uh, it, it didn't seem to phase him. But that's credit to uh, what they were doing at Springvale. You know, they sure. they didn't have yep. that high expectation on him, and they were just out there letting him develop. Which uh, you know, I thought was you know they really uh, took a good approach with him yeah exactly you know and um the thing that i mean it's it, it even goes to back to you know people like russell spear as role models is that that they don't get phased anymore when they see radar guns on them you know and they know that their role is purely to help sides win games it's not to get them to the next level but more sort of you know what what can i do to help a side win and that's what's been the beauty of this team so far Thanks for those words, Gilesy. Uh, Russell Spear on cue. That was perfect. Thanks, mate. Ah, Russell, welcome. How are you, pal? Good. Russell, uh, good. Um, Pete, I, I know you're a big advocate of, of these kids um, travelling to the States for college, and um, like it or not, I think um, we're pretty oversaturated here with, with scouts um, from Major League Baseball clubs now, and and this tournament's really gotten the radar of those guys. Um the expectations I know on these kids, uh, are, they are what they are, and, and their expectations are probably um, due to uh, their own commitments. But um, have you found have you found over your was it twelve years that you've been involved in this program that that the scouting numbers are increasing and there is much more activity off the field? Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, I know when I looked when I first joined uh, the school boys. It was almost like a, a, a minor tournament for kids. There might have been one or two kids who, who played at a high level that joined the program. But I think what they're finding now is that the actual caliber of the tournament is increasing. And obviously, from, you know, from a scout's perspective, the better the tournament, the better the, the profile of kids who are participating. So now I see a lot of kids, you know, obviously so a lot of scouts who, who are turning up for it. Most of the states send their academy coaches up there to, to check on their players um, because obviously the kids are in the process of trying to make the, the, the academy squad to the Gold Coast. Um, but no doubt, I, I see a lot of scouts now turning up to these tournaments because sometimes these tournaments pick kids who are sleepers who have been overlooked by programs and, and they're the, the, the little golden gem that no one's seen before. But the, the next level down of this tournament actually gives them an opportunity. Uh, Pete, the the tournament you, you mentioned twelve years have been a part of it. Is who's traditionally strong and the toughest opposition? How do you see your chances leading into this year's national schoolboys tournament? Well, so if I look back twelve years ago, it was predominantly a Victoria and New South Wales clash towards the, the later part of the tournament. It was always they were the two teams that you know fared probably with the most success. But as the tournaments increased in stature, then all of a sudden um, a lot of academies throughout Australia are, are promoting it uh, from within. So now ACT, that's part of their academy program. Um, so they, even though they haven't won it recently, the, the way they conduct themselves is second to none. From the smallest gene pool that they could pull, call upon from players, their, their demeanour, their attitude to the game is outstanding. So they're always competitive. The side, obviously, who's always the benchmark is New South Wales, purely because of, A, they have the most players who play in the state, but they combine both city and country um, into one team. So they're always perennial finalists. Um, there's been a massive resurgence in South Australian baseball the last two years. Now, they won the under-16 national side uh, last year um, up in Sydney, and they were a hair's breadth away from playing off in the gold medal in the schoolboys last year. And they've got, I, from what I've seen uh, of that age group, they've got one of the best 17-year-old kids going around in Australia called Jack O'Loughlin, who was, who was the star of last year's tournament, and he was he was uh, two age groups below it. So he comes back this year. So with him, him there, no doubt South Australia will be good. But you can never ride off the big V. Um, <laughs> they've always been up there. So um, they've been runners-up in the gold medal game the last two what, two years. Two years ago, they lost in a four-and-a-half-hour marathon. Um, in the, I think it was the 15th inning. They lost to New South. And again, last year, they lost to New South. So we go away competitive. And, and with any tournament, um, Frida, any time a state hosts it, 
This year being uh, Western Australia, you know that they're going to put in a good team. They had a, an ordinary year last year, so they were stung by that. So with with the, the calibre of players or, and coaches who look after that side, I know they'll put on a good show. And Queensland uh, are always going to be competitive. So it's it's open, but you'd have to say, based on just history, New South Wales would be, to, to win it, you've got to beat them. Pete, is uh, is the quality of the... T- well, obviously, the quality of a tournament is is determined by the quality of the players that actually compete in it. Do you think it's been your approach, uh, yours and Dan's approach, to, to improve the quality of player that goes away that's sort of dragged the other teams? Or did you get together with other coaches from, from the other states? Or has it just evolved naturally that you guys were sending better quality, getting better results, and then the other teams started thinking, well, we'd better do the same? How do you think that's evolved? You know what, um, and Dan McConnell was the first pioneer of all this, is that, I mean, he knows what, what players are like in America, and he knows what the calibre of our player is versus the calibre of the kids in the States. And his big thing is always, you, you, never, you never go away in a tournament to showcase yourself so, you know, that's always been, you know, I've taken that on board and tried to run with it. And I'm finding now kids are actually really thriving on playing actually in a team environment. I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's there's enough pressure on kids now with the, this, the, the talk around that you, you're going to get signed and you're going to make a career in professional baseball. If that happens, well and good. But there's to me, there's enough pressure on kids as it is. All of a sudden, you know, put them in a team environment and you remove that pressure of having to excel individually, and that's more about what you can do to help you know a team. Kids now are finding now are coming on board, and they're almost looking forward to playing in this tournament um, because it's just a total release of the of the pressure valve. And as we all know, the good kids always come to the top, you know. And it's no surprise that the kids who generally do well play in successful teams. Correct. So, you know, I'm finding that more kids now are actually trying to put their hand up for it. We had nearly 70 kids try out for it this year, whereas 12 years ago we were lucky to get 15 to 20. Oh, wow. And, and they know that we, we really push a college background. We really try to push is that if you want to play at college, this is what the expectations of coaches are. This is how players conduct themselves. And I'm starting to find that players actually starting to thrive in that environment. So... Now, whether then that's just the word of mouth kicks in, um, and it's a tournament where it's encouraged kids are, of all states are encouraged to mix with one another, and, and they know that there is the, the golden prize of if you have a good week, regardless of what your name or surname is or what club you play for, there's a chance of making the Australian schoolboys team. And that's what I love. It's, it's Nothing's predetermined. Nothing's based on reputation. It's based on how did you go for that week. So, you know, that's always the golden ticket that kids, you know, aspire to. But luckily for the schoolboys, you know, everyone is on the same pages of, you know, what we're trying to achieve is you get the kids to college. Um, and I think now that um, states now are trying to say, you know, maybe that's a, a, a better pathway for kids to aspire to. So, uh, Pete, you just alluded to the Australian schoolboys heading to the US later in the year. Whereabouts will that tournament be in the US? All right, so it's basically a tournament where the kids will leave on September 15th. Now, keep in mind the whole the whole thought process of this tournament, or this Australian team, is to expose kids to college baseball. So we land in Portland and we start um, playing games against colleges ranging from Division One powerhouses down to junior college teams. So we go from Portland in Ohio, then we work our way down um, through LA through San Diego, then across to tournaments in um, Arizona. It's almost a case, Ritter, where the teams that we've taken away in the past, they've gone away believing, you know, rightly or wrongly, that they were the top bracket of kids in their, for their age bracket in Australia, both from a, you know, an MLB Academy kid and a, and a schoolboy kid. When they go away and they see what good college kids are like, it's almost that their work habits then change dramatically, knowing that, you know what, they are a long way behind what good American kids are. And it was almost the case we're saying in the last trip that it would have been an ideal world of the kids go away on this trip, then come back and then go up to the Gold Coast Academy because I'm sure their work habits and their outlook on baseball would have been a hell of a lot different. 
So they play nearly 30 games while they're away, as I said, ranging from junior colleges uh, to Division One colleges. They get uh, billeted out by families while they're away. They go to, to a, a one day in the school, the life of an American kid. So you can imagine an Australian boy in an American high school for a day. They are the, the flavour of the month. We go to the, a big Division One college football game, um, tailgate parties. So the, the, the trip itself, talking to kids and families who have been on in the past and reading testimonials of families, it's the best trip they've ever done because it actually changes their outlook on what their goals are in baseball. And Neil Barracliffe was only just saying that 55 kids in the last two tours have, who have gone away, 45 have finished up being predominantly in college wow. and a handful in pro baseball. So it certainly did change kids' outlook on what their goals are for the next few years. Uh, for my two bobs worth, I think college is a way to go for all of them. But uh, look, we're going to have to wrap it up there, Pete. That's uh, terrific, mate. Thanks for your time this morning. Good luck in this first, the Australian Nationals uh, in Perth uh, starting Monday and uh, again then later on in the year good luck with the Australian team travelling over to the US but thanks very much for your time this morning and good luck in the tournament It's always a pleasure Feather, to talk to three of the great icons in Victorian baseball <laughs> You got that And right, us mate. too <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good on you Pete Terrific mate Thanks, thanks very much thanks, Much appreciated And there's Pete Giles head coach of the Victorian schoolboys team in that tournament That's all we got for today's show, guys, we've had uh, plenty to talk about. Of course, Patrick Corbin from the Arizona Diamondbacks coming on. Terrific to get a major league insight into what goes on. Uh, I think he wants to hit. What do you think? You think he wants to hit? You think he wants to hit more? I think, I think he, he likes was, hitting. I think he was leaning that he way. He was great. Yeah, wasn't he great? Politically correct. He didn't want to sort of overstep the mark, but I think he. Uh, I think he's pretty keen on the hitting idea. But for now. Um, that's all we've got, guys. Uh, Pete Giles, of course, and as I said, Patrick Corbin coming on the show. Thanks very much for your time, JC. Well done. Thank you very much. And Spearsy, thanks for coming in today, mate. Appreciate Thank you, guys. it. And we'll see you next week on SEN Baseball. Thanks for listening to the SEN MLB podcast. For more SEN America podcasts, head to sen.com.au. To keep up to date with the latest American sports news and interviews from around SEN, follow SEN America on Twitter at SEN America and on Facebook at facebook.com slash SEN America.